Ghosts of Christmas Presents, a seasonal story, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. Chapter 11 Benedict Nail doesn't notice when Bob's and Mum from the China House are separated from him, but he suddenly finds himself alone in a lift with the woman in spectacles. I'm sure Mr. Cardiman will be able to help, sir, says the woman without looking round. He is an eminently capable, level-headed gentleman. The lift is small and rickety and does not even have doors, just a concertinaed gate so that Benedict can clearly see the floors of the bookshelf as they pass. There is a long, Kafkaesque office stretching off into an impossible perspective, rows and rows of indistinguishable clerks receding to infinity. There is a medieval scriptorium, where a monk, tongue blackened with ink, looks up as they pass, slack-jawed with boredom. There is a long corridor of office doors, all with frosted glass windows in, every window painted with the title of a different detective agency. Then the lift shudders to a stop, and the woman in spectacles hauls the gate open. This way, please. The woman ushers Benedict down a lino-floored corridor to a wide pair of double doors, then through them into a large bare office with windows looking out onto, Benedict realises, Cambridge Circus. A man is standing at the window, but he turns as they enter, and for a moment disappears. Then he reappears, revealing that he is little more than a cardboard cutout, an entirely two-dimensional man. He is wearing a thick woollen cardigan, a woollen tie, and sensible slacks, a pipe sticks out from under his moustache, and his hair is brilliantine down into place. Mr. Nile, he says warmly, folding and unfolding his legs across the office and offering Benedict a dry, papery hand. Mr. Cardiman, delighted to meet you. That'll be all, thank you. He shoots over Benedict's shoulder at the woman in spectacles as he guides Benedict to a leather armchair by his desk. You look quite done in, old chap. Shall I get you something? A whisky? Oh, um, thank you, says Benedict, sitting down, relieved to be finally talking with someone who appears to be in charge. Uh, that would be splendid. Splendid, yes, says Mr. Cardiman. Here we are. Single malt. That'll put airs on your chest. Cardiman hands Benedict the glass, then folds himself over the edge of the desk and in a deft piece of origami crosses his legs. Now then, he says around the stem of his pipe, what seems to be the matter? I, I seem to be having the strangest dream or, or hallucination or something, says Benedict, sipping at the whisky warily, as if afraid it might turn out to be something else entirely. I am I'm shrunk down uh, somehow, and everyone keeps saying that they are dead and that I am dying or some such nonsense. Now listen, old chap, says Cardiman, standing up. I don't hold with all those edge-shrinker johnnies. I'm afraid I'm jolly old school. I believe a man should face up to what's what, don't you? Come and have a look here. Cardiman turns again, moving back to the window, and Benedict, heaving himself up out of the armchair, follows him. What do you see down there, Mr Nile? All of a sudden the view isn't Cambridge Circus, but instead the view it ought to be. The view from high up in Benedict's bookcase, looking down at the floor of his living room, the floor on which, lit by the baleful glow of the street lamps outside the window, lies Benedict's own body, sprawled on the rug. Benedict stares at it aghast. Let's face facts, old chap, says Cardiman, placing a papery hand on Benedict's shoulder. 
There you are, down there, quite unconscious on the floor. And here you are, up here, in my office, among the dead. Not where you might have preferred to be, I know. I don't mind that. Though I might point out to you that it's not so bad not to be lumbered with an inconvenient old body any more. But whatever we want, this is just what we've got. This is what we have to work with. We are dead, and, and you are soon to join us. But And this is important, old man. You are not one of us yet. Not yet one of us ghosts. And not yet one of us here in the library. Cardiman steers Benedict round to the right and opens a blind over another window. This time Benedict is looking down from a great height into the medieval scriptorium he glimpsed from the elevator. They are evidently high up among the buttresses and beams of a great hall, and far below are the small lamps of the monks. What are ghosts, Mr. Nail? says Cardiman, then immediately answers himself. They are memories, and memories fade, Mr. Nail, with time, with age. All that a ghost is fades away and is gone. Nothing but a faint echo of what they once might have been. This is why we have libraries, after all, why we write down our history and ideas for future generations, storing up our memories against the cold and dark. You are an intelligent man, Mr. Nail, says Cardiman, turning back to his desk. I'm sure you follow me. On the desk is a huge sheet of paper, carefully weighed down at the corners with books. On it is a diagram. Some kind of timeline, Benedict thinks, and we may judge him that his pulse quickens slightly at the thought of a Gantt chart and the laying out of a project's progress. From birth to death, cradle to grave, all organised, says Cardiman. Childhood here, adulthood, senescence, if you'll pardon the expression. Of course, childhood gets the most space. More memories, you see. Summers here, school there, and all these are Christmases. Of course, you don't get that in adulthood. Sex and work mostly here, you'll notice. And in old age, food. This is our library, Mr Nail. A library, like all libraries, of memories. My life's... no, <laughs> my death's work. A library for ghosts, storing up their memories against the cold and dark. Benedict finds himself wrapped by the diagram, the first intelligible thing he has seen in this mad new world. Graphic evidence that someone has thought and planned and executed. It is like a life preserver thrown to a drowning man. Well, it's, uh, it's very impressive, is what he says, not wanting to be too giddily effusive. I knew you'd get it, old man, says Cardiman, sucking away on his pipe with satisfaction. I knew you were our kind of chap. Let me top that up for you. Benedict hadn't noticed that he'd drained his whisky. That's why I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask you next, Mr. Nail, says Cardiman, handing him a fresh glass. Benedict, says Benedict instinctively. Benedict, a good solid name, says Cardiman. In fact, I barely think I need to invite you to join us, old man, because I rather fancy you'd volunteer if I didn't. It's quite the undertaking, Benedict, and we need smart fellows like you. Willing to get in on the ground floor. Get stuck in. Make it work. You will, won't you? Benedict isn't sure whether it's the whisky or the compliments that make him flushed with excitement, but he finds himself saying, Yes, of course. Of course. I'd like to join your library.
You have been listening to The Ghosts of Christmas Presents, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. The music is The Path of the Goblin King by Kevin MacLeod of filmmusic.io and our illustrations are by Jamie Lenman. You can find more of our stories at christmasstories.co.uk or wherever you found this podcast and we'd be grateful if you could rate and review us while you're there as well. If you're feeling really generous, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash christmasstories where a subscription will get you versions of this story without all these annoying credits and lots of other exclusive material. But all we really want you to do is to listen to the next instalment of The Ghosts of Christmas Presents. (laughs) 